Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark starting in chapter 9, this particular miracle is in Mark, Matthew and Luke, it is in three of the four Gospels and so when we look at that we say hmm, that there is, there is weight to that, it doesn't mean that this miracle is better or more important than any other miracle, but it does mean that there is something in this miracle that three of the four gospel writers wanted us to know. And so as we look at this, we will look for important things that perhaps this miracle is teaching us, that it taught them back then and teaches us today. Now as a context, where are they? The uh, beginning of chapter 9 of Mark is the transfiguration. The transfiguration is where Peter, James, John, and Jesus went up to a mountain and Jesus was transfigured. He became shining like the sun and he was speaking with Elijah and Moses. And after that experience, they came down the mountain, and in Mark 9, 9, Jesus said, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. He then talks about Elijah and John the Baptist, and then when they come down the mountain, they are in a crowd, a great crowd, Mark 9, 14. Uh, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes were arguing with them. And so when we look at this, we see that they have had what we as Christians would call a mountaintop experience. They had had this glorious seeing Christ in His glory, something that no other human had, has seen since, and then they come down and they're back into reality. And back when I would go to summer camp as a youth, they would always warn us that, hey, you're, you're on a mountaintop experience here in the camp. You're going to, the next day, go back into your life and you have to be able to carry with you what you have learned and what you have seen. Now, hopefully they did that, but Jesus told them not to talk about it, but his belief is that they would carry it with them through, and we'll see how they didn't. And so looking in 14 through 18, we have a demon-possessed person. We do not know how old this person is, but this demon possession has gone on for some time. It says, immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him to greet him. And so they're arguing the disciples. Jesus is off camera at this point. We do not know where he is, but he's not with the crowd. The disciples are with the crowd. 
And scribes, who are the people who copied the Bible because they didn't have copy machines, they were copied by hand, and so the people who professionally copied the Bible by hand, who therefore knew it quite well, had sections of it memorized because they spent their whole day writing it, they were arguing with the disciples, and Jesus comes into the scene, he comes into the crowd, the people gather around Jesus because his reputation had come before him and says, what are you arguing about? And somebody from the crowd said, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. So this father had enough wherewithal, whether perhaps meeting with people or trying cures, he knew that this was a demonic possession. He knew that this was a problem with an evil spirit, not a mental illness, if you will. And he says, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So he asks his disciples to cast it out, but they were unable. Abel. Now, in the book of Matthew, the father calls his son a lunatic. Now, lunatic is a word that literally means moonsickness. Okay, back in the day, and you can even find this in even the 1800s, where they talked about the moon making people mentally ill. You were moonstruck if you were kind of not thinking clearly. They, they felt there was magical properties in the moon. The word for lunatic eventually became what we now know as epilepsy. And if you were to look at this person and what they were doing, modern people might say, ah, he's epileptic. They didn't know what that was back then. This person the father knew that it was an evil spirit. It doesn't say how he knew, but he knew that it was an evil spirit. And I'm not saying that mental illness always means an evil spirit. There is demon possession today, but it seems to be more undercover than it was back then. Uh, one thing that we have to understand is that Christians can never be demon-possessed. If you have the Holy Spirit... You cannot have a demon living next door to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not allow it. However, demons can poke at us and annoy us and cause difficulties. That's called demonized. Christians cannot be demon-possessed, but the demons can mess with Christians, trying to make us not believe and things of this nature. So... He said, they said, we brought it to the disciples, and the disciples were not able to do it. So they did something. They tried something. It doesn't say what they did, but we can probably figure out what they did. And nothing happened. The demon did not leave the person. And so Jesus says in verse 19, O faithless generation. So he is saying the fact that they could not cast it out was a sign of lack of faith, was a sign of faithlessness. The opposite of faith in the Bible is works. So you have works 
you have faith. And so they probably did something that was works-related, probably something that they had learned as Jewish people. If you speak to a Jew today, you will find that there are exorcism rites even in the Jewish faith and have been there forever because they understand that demon possession does happen and they have rituals and they have incantations and they have things that they believe if they do them in the presence of a demon-possessed person that the demon will leave. And so the disciples, perhaps along with the scribes, did these sorts of things. They probably did a ritual. They did something works-related, something in their own strength, something in their memory, not something they learned from Jesus. And it didn't work. And we'll figure out why it didn't work in a little bit. And then Jesus says, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And most commentators call this Holy exasperation. Jesus had been teaching his disciples for two, two and a half years. He is now on a full um, stretch toward Jerusalem and the cross. His teaching is, is coming to an end as his sacrifice is going to begin. And so Jesus is kind of wondering. He's been with these people for two, two and a half years and they are still relying on their own strength. They are still relying on how they did things before Jesus. They are still relying on what they know and not what has been re- revealed to him. And so Jesus kind of to himself and to us exasperatedly says, how long am I to bear with you? How long can I take this, in other words? Now he is not as much You know, when we say that, we can be annoyed with people or we can get angry with people. He did not sin in doing this. He is not angry in that way. It is just, you know, holy wondering, you know, how long are you ever going to get it is basically what he's saying to his disciples. And then he says, bring him to me. And so in verse 20, and they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. So spirits know who Jesus is. Spirits know fully and completely who Jesus is for the simple reason that he created them. The first being that this demon saw when he came into existence was Jesus standing right there. And for a period of time, all the angels that were created worshipped Jesus, worshipped God the Father. It was all one big happy family. And then Lucifer, Satan, the devil, rebelled against God and took one-third of the angels with him. And so these, this guy, this, this demon... Um, was part of the group that rebelled against God. And they were on earth, and for a period of time, for thousands of years, they were able to function on earth without God messing with them. They were able to go and do whatever they want, and God was not coming down and stopping them. God today is letting 
the demonic forces not run wild and do whatever they want, but they are they look free to us to, to deceive the world, and that will all come to an end when Jesus Christ returns. And so this demon is pulled and he sees Jesus and is like, ah, he's, you know, for the first time he sees uh, somebody who is better than him. Humans cannot match the strength of this demon, but Jesus can just look at him and see he'll cease to exist. And so his response is to convulse the boy. Some demons praise God. Some demons give out proper names of Jesus. This one wants to fight. And so this one uh, convulses the boy, rolls him around. He foams at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening? And the father said, from childhood. That's another way of saying his whole life, as, far, as long as we've known this child, as long as he's been able to walk or speak, this demon has been in him doing these things. And we don't know how old the boy is at this time, but if he's, you know, 10 or 15 or 21, we don't know, but it has been a long time. It has been years that this boy has been tortured by this demon, and if you look at what the demon does, he says, if you can do anything, the father says, have compassion on him. And Jesus explained back, he said, if you can, in other words, you're telling me if you can do anything. And Jesus saying, well, you know, you don't, you don't challenge God that way by saying, if you can. He says, all things are possible for those who believe. Now this particular verse has been taken out of context and used by all manner of charlatans who say you can control God or make things happen just by believing strong enough. And if things don't happen, it's because you don't have enough faith. That is not what this is saying. He is saying that if you were talking about this Son who has a demon, we're talking about coming to Jesus and asking him to do things. We can participate in the work of Jesus. We can participate in continuing the work of Jesus, in, in, in making this church into something. And our belief in Jesus, not our belief in ourselves, not our belief in magic, not our belief in other strange things, but our belief in Jesus is what gives us the power to do this, is what gives us the power to pray and the power to read Scripture and understand it and have our lives changed because we believe and have faith in Jesus. And so all things are possible for one who believes in Jesus and uses that belief to have strength to live day by day living for Jesus. And he says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And so he believed in Jesus as a as a miracle worker, he believed in Jesus as someone who could do great things, 
but he wasn't all the way to what we would call saving faith. He wasn't all the way toward taking Jesus as who he really is. And I've, I've heard this particular verse in prayers my whole life where people pray that I believe God but help me in my unbelief. Nobody has perfect and absolute belief and won't until we see God face to face in the hereafter. In, our, in the meantime, we all have different levels of belief and I believe our belief can, can vary from day to day, I, from moment to moment. I can wake up in the morning and be all gung-ho believing in God and then I see something or hear something or I'm challenged and my belief kind of wavers. And so in that moment I can pray that I believe this much but help me in my unbelief which seems to be growing. And so it's reasonable to come to God understanding what your belief level is. It is reasonable to tell God in your prayers that you believe he can do this, but you're not really believing all the way that he can do this. Belief, true belief in God comes from God. And so praying for a stronger faith, for a stronger belief, for fully believing that God is going to do this or do that is what we can come to God with. If we try to muster up belief on our own, then that is working in the flesh and that is not working in faith. We must fully give ourselves to God. We talk about laying things down at the cross or laying things down at the foot of God and these are things that block us from faith. If I have a sickness, if I have a pain, if I have a financial problem, if I have a family problem, it's very easy to grab a hold of these things and elevate them above our belief in God and say, this is insurmountable. This is something that I cannot imagine a result from. Therefore, God cannot imagine a result from, and that is where we get into difficulties of our own strength and our own work. If I look at a problem and elevate it, then I am living in the flesh, then I am living in works, then I am not walking by the Spirit. If I was walking by the Spirit, I would say to God, I've got this insurmountable problem like a demon-possessed son. I've got this insurmountable problem. I can't figure it out, but you can. I don't know how it will be fixed, but you can. I cannot do anything for it, but you can. And that is how we need to pray. That is how we need to live, is we lift up everything, not great in our mind, but we lift them up to give them to God for no problem is too big for God. This, this situation with a demon-possessed boy is nothing for God. God knows exactly who the demon is. God knows the demon's name. God probably named the demon. We don't know anything about that, but it is Jesus has no problem with our problems. There is nothing so great 
that God scratches his head and goes, I don't know. Everything that comes to us is easy pickings for Jesus. And so they brought the person to Jesus. Jesus allows the crowd to get around. In other healings, Jesus would go uh, apart from the crowds, alone. But apparently it was best for everybody to see this. And so the crowd came running together. They are running to see this. And Jesus says to the spirit, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And so Jesus is telling this unnamed spirit that he is to leave the boy and never come back again. Uh, People have speculated that if he didn't add that second part that the demon would come out for 20 minutes and then go back in. I don't know. Jesus clearly knows what he's doing. And this demon will leave the boy and will never, ever, 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 for all of eternity, ever enter into that boy again. The demon can do other things, but that boy is off limits by command of God Almighty. And so the demon is not going to go quietly. Some demons go quietly. This one does not. It says, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, It came out and the boy was like a corpse. And so everybody said, he's dead. Jesus knows exactly whether he's dead or not. And so Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And the, uh, if you look at the other gospels, the words like Jesus healed him, Jesus made him whole If you look at the description of what the demon did, grind his teeth back then. You know, these days, if you grind your teeth, you'll get a mouth guard from your dentist and you'll stop grinding your teeth. Back then, you just ground your teeth until they broke or you ground them down. They would be thrown into a fire. I don't know if you've ever been in a fire. If you're in a fire, you get burned, you get scarred, you get skin damage. Then they throw them in water. Uh, who knows, maybe he held him down, I don't know, but water can do damage to the body. He would convulse, he would foam at the mouth. There were physical attributes of this boy, of what the demon had done to him. Scars, perhaps broken bones, perhaps anything that if you looked at the boy, even when the demon wasn't active, you would say something's wrong here, that this boy has been damaged somehow. And so Jesus doesn't just cast out the demon and say, good luck to you. He, uh, he fixed up the boy physically so that if you were to see the boy the day after this, you would see that nothing wrong had happened, that he was fully and completely restored, that he had his complete mind back, that uh, any damage that was gone, done to the body was fixed. The healing was complete and thorough and instant. Jesus does not just do you know, this or that and leave us to ourselves when Jesus heals. It is complete. It is full. It is instant. And then things go on and they talk about the boy and then they go him and the disciples enter a house. 
and they were able to lock the door or something so that the rest of the crowd didn't follow. And the disciples asked the faithful question, why could we not cast it out? In other words, they were baffled. They did their best and it didn't work. And then Jesus comes and says, get out and never come back. And the demon goes and they want to know why they could not do that. And that brings us to the point of the miracle. And the point of the miracle is summed up in three words, faith, prayer, and fasting. And Jesus in the book of Mark says this kind, the word for kind means category. And so Jesus is letting us know that there are different types of demons, there are different strengths of demons, there are different abilities of demons. This one is a particularly bad one, a particularly strong one, a particularly difficult one a particularly belligerent one. And this kind, this category of demon can only be driven out, can be driven out by anything but prayer. If you look in the book of Matthew, Matthew adds, and fasting. Now at the beginning of this miracle, Jesus talks about how people are faithless and the fact that this demon could not be cast out is because people had no faith. They were faithless. And so the first thing we need to live in this world, now I'm not saying that we go demon hunting. There are people who say, yes, I will go demon hunting. There are, there are movies about demon hunters and things of this nature. For the true Christian who really believes in this stuff, we do not hunt for demons, okay? But problems, difficulties, issues will come up in your life that are not demon-related as much related to the sin of the world. The world is a broken place. The world is a sinful place. And so things do not work out in a holy, righteous form all the time. And so these things will come against us. And we must be able to handle this by being people of faith. Now, the way that it works is we don't live our lives any way we want. And then when a difficulty comes out, okay, you're overdrawn in your checking account or some difficulty happens, you don't immediately say, well, i got to fix my faith and i got to start you know, working on my faith. You need to be people of faith, people who are putting the power of God first where understanding that the power of God and who God is is involved in your life all the time as we sing when, the, when things are going great, when things are going every way that it should be, we praise God, but when the you know, road of suffering comes, we go, oh no, i got to play catch-up. We don't play catch-up. We need to be people of faith every day. I need to wake up and say, where is my faith lacking? Or how can I feed my faith or things of this nature, my relationship with God, my view of God, my knowledge of God needs to be of first important 
every day we need to be thinking about that. And then as you have lives of faith, as you have thoughts of faith, we also need to be people of prayer. Now it says this kind can only be driven out by anything but prayer. If we run a difficult situation like that, we need to be praying about it. But this needs not be the only thing you ever pray about. We need to be people of faith, people of prayer, so that when problems come, we are ready. We are hitting the ground running. We are ready to lean into it and add that prayer to our regular prayers and watch God work. Now it says in Matthew, and fasting. Fasting in the Bible is a way to focus your mind on God if you have a difficulty of focusing on God because you're always thinking about worldly things or coveting things or envying things, then fasting not only from food, but today we could say a TV fast or a phone fast or an internet fast, we can remove these distractions from our lives for a period of time so that we can focus on God. Some people find great benefit in fasting. Other people try it and they get nothing. There's no command. If you don't fast, it's not a sin. If you do fast, you don't get points with God. It is something that is offered in the Bible. And if it works for you, yay. If it doesn't work for you, yay. However, faith and prayer are mandatory for the Christian life. We must be people of faith. I'm thinking about God all the time. I'm thinking about what God's doing. I'm thinking about what I'm doing in relationship to God. My relationship with God is primary and prayer. I bring everything before God. And so when something major happens, it's very easy to also bring that before God. We need people to be people of faith and prayer because... We serve a mighty God who does, who can do anything. Jesus did not break a sweat casting out this demon that was terrorizing a whole village. Okay? God can do anything. All of our problems are insignificant from the work standpoint from God. He cares deeply about us. But everything that comes our way, we need to bring to God every good thing, every bad thing, every wonderful thing, every sad thing. We bring it before God in faith and in prayer. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this. We thank you that in fact we can have a relationship with you. We can have a relationship that is active that we can live in faith and prayer, bringing everything before you. Lord, we ask you to bless us this day, to clarify our thoughts as we seek to serve you better. I ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen.
Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.